Are we engaging in intentional use or passive use? Are we consuming content consciously? And how does that content make us feel? Whenever we have the kind of constant input, there isn't that quiet time to say, what do we need? What can we create? When you have the clarity, when you have the purpose, when you know what social impact you want to have, that will attract the exact people that you need. Welcome to the Beyond Capital Podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, General Partner of Beyond Capital Ventures. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Scoot. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Nina Hersher. Nina is Chief Learning Officer at the Digital Wellness Institute, author of the best-selling Your Playbook for Thriving in the Remote Work Era, and a highly sought-after speaker. A leading expert in digital wellness, Hersher holds a specialized Master of Social Work in Digital Culture and Program Development. She's also the co-founder of the annual Digital Wellness Day, reaching more than 7 million people in 36 countries. Incredible. Welcome, Nina, to the show. Thank you so much for having me today. It's an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to learn more about digital wellness. So you've centered your career on this space. And as a start, can you explain to our listeners what is meant by that phrase and how it impacts our overall health? Great question. So when we're talking about digital wellness, we're essentially talking about what is that kind of optimum place of health and well-being that each individual using technology is capable of achieving. And so another way of framing it is really how can we update our practices to make sure that we're supporting our overall well-being in this age of constant connectivity? Yeah. I mean, I can really relate to that. (laughs) Just, you know, trying to not be too connected, but just connected enough. And, you know, as a tangent to that question, you know, why are digital wellness and work-life balance such urgent and prevalent issues today? I think especially as we're coming out of COVID, there has been such a blur between home as a place of retreat and home as a place of work. And so more than ever, People are really looking to optimize their digital habits and figure out what exactly are the pain points. And I think whenever we're talking about this topic, it's really important to acknowledge that everyone is going to have a different entry point or kind of event that makes them want to explore this. And so for some people, they might be having challenges with productivity. Uh, For other people, maybe their partner was hooked on porn. For other people, it's kids. And so there are all different kind of events, some of which can be really heavy, can be really traumatic for people. But overall, there is kind of this pull to say, how can we reclaim our peace of mind? How can we reclaim that connection, that presence, and all of the things that make us human? Kids. It's a big topic for me because I have young kids and I've... Age old topic. Yeah. Age old topic when it comes to 
new technology, but I actually sat down with Ed and I said, how did you deal with technology and your kids? (laughs) And his kids are much older than mine. They're 22 and 25? 24 and 25. 24 and 25. Yeah. So cell phones were just coming out when, you know, for affordable for kids when they were in school. And so we talked a little bit about his role for you can't get a cell phone until half the kids in the classroom have one, (laughs) which I thought was great. But then it goes much deeper for today's youth. And Nina, since you're the expert, how do you think that parents should deal with technology in their households? I think every household is going to be different and kind of what they are feeling is important at this time. And also every child is so different, right? And so I remember my first cell phone was actually when I went to a private school for two years in junior high. And that was important because we needed to be able to keep in touch. We needed to coordinate pickups and things like that. There's a really great campaign called Wait Until Eighth that's encouraging parents if at all possible, to hold off on cell phones until eighth grade. But I think that the times are changing, the norms are changing. And so I think it's mostly about aligning with your partners, if any, in the household, getting the kids involved in the conversation. Kids have really great insight into this. Sometimes we think it's the kids and it's actually us and we kind of want to look at our own behavior. But there's actually a great activity that we call a communication charter where we just have this open and honest dialogue around, hey, how much do you think is too much? What times do you think it would be great to unplug and make eye contact? Maybe when we're eating as a family, are there certain hours when maybe we want to put everything in this unplugged area where we can recharge our phones just like we recharged ourselves and leave those outside of our rooms where we sleep? And so there are all different ways to go about it, but we definitely are finding that when the kids can kind of get involved in what the household norms should be, and we can hold each other accountable in a supportive way, there's a lot more change that happens a lot more quickly. That sounds like a concept that is central to the Digital Wellness Institute, which is digital flourishing. How does that extend beyond just children? Oh, so many things. We we do work primarily with adults, but we do a little bit of youth work and a work, I think, mostly empowering the teachers and the kind of educators who want to become champions, who want to become change agents. And so this idea of digital flourishing is really, I think, the, the unique approach of the Digital Wellness Institute. It's why people come to us. And it's really a healthy tech versus anti-tech approach to device usage, where we can look at bringing intention to our attention, where we can look at all the different ways that technology kind of makes us feel empowered. And so the technical definition of digital flourishing is this empowerment-oriented approach to tech where we can enjoy all the beautiful things it brings us, like this call today, like this podcast, and we can avoid some of the associated harms, some of the unintended consequences, which can range from tech neck to loss of productivity and so much more. Tech neck? Is that like from looking at my phone too much? It is. For example, right now we can all just feel where our head is on our neck. And if we feel like maybe we're a turtle that's out of our shell, if we need to pull it back into the shell a little bit, but we all sometimes forget that our ergonomics are so important, especially as we spend more time on screens than ever before. One of the things that I found just in my work life is that there's a big difference in approach to digital tech. Maybe that's redundant. There, there's a big 
a big uh, difference between people who are really good at context shifting and people who are really not good at context shifting. Like I am a world-class context shifter. I can, I can like shift context from one thing to the next and the next and the next. I could do that a hundred times all day long and it doesn't drain my energy. For other people, it really does drain their energy. Do you take that into any kind of account in your approach to kind of digital wellness? Do you find that context shifting is harder for some and easier for others? Or am I just a weirdo? It sounds like you're a superhero, but also I think that context shifting is really important uh, as we think about distractions. And so there are so many different distractions around us as we live in this attention economy. And so I think certain people do have an easier time. Uh, The research is showing that there are certain types of multitasking that are easier to do than others. So I think it also depends on the work that you're actually doing and you're actually engaging with. And also who's who's around you, right? Do you have kids running around behind you? Are you in a kind of protected area of a home office? Everyone's going to have a different kind of encounter with these different factors. And I think this, this has come up a lot for us lately, because as we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's important to talk through the fact that everyone's home office or kind of hybrid work situation is not going to be the same, even as we think about taking breaks, right? So some people might live in a high rise and it takes a long time to get down to the ground floor. Maybe they don't feel super comfortable taking a walk outside. Other people are going to live in the country. It's really easy to take a walk around the block, be in nature, right? And so from how we take breaks to what we feel is productive for us is going to vary greatly depending on the individual, how they've been conditioned, and also the industry that they've chosen for themselves. I'm also a good context switcher. Are you? Yes. But if you get kids running in the background or me hearing my husband's Peloton outside my office door, forget about it. <laughs> it all goes away. What do you hear on the, what, what is the Peloton? Just the class that he's taking. <laughs> oh, it's like he doesn't have headphones on. Right. No headphones. Just oh, the, okay. the noise and the music of the class. So I, oh. I think that, I think to me it's, it's also to a point. And I, I think that ability to contact switch can also help me burn out more quickly, which apparently 89% of all workers have experienced burnout in the past year. Is that just in America, Nina? Uh, I think that's actually beginning to be in other places. This, this kind of comes back to the productivity, how we're tracking productivity is not uniform. And so the research coming out, we have to look at it really closely because at the beginning of COVID folks just assumed, Oh, my, my employees are being more productive at home. But in fact, it was mostly because people were working longer hours because those lines between work and home were so blurred. And so now things are changing a little bit more and how we're looking at productivity is different. But I I totally feel you on the distractions. My husband has this booming deep voice that finds me wherever I am. And so I actually have a home office that's detached from the house because there's no room I can go in the house where I can't hear him just a little bit. And so knowing what's going to distract us and what's going to help us drop in, I think is really, is really, really critical. I've been accused of this. (laughs) Well, you have a radio voice, which is partially why we're here. I know. I know. I love Nina, the thread of what's beautiful and what's good about tech and not being anti-tech and 
Ed actually created a product at Scoot, which is a, a really elegant use of technology for people to come together all around the world or within companies in big gatherings, very different than the Zoom format of, you know, you really can't have more than a half dozen or a dozen people on a meeting and have it be a nice interaction. What are some other ways that you've seen tech really be beneficial and maybe what are some tips for those who could be struggling with tech for them to re-engage with technology and feel good about it? Absolutely. So a beautiful place to start uh, is actually our digital flourishing survey. And so we have an incredible research director, Dr. Sophie Janik Bowles is a positive media psychologist. And we, about five years ago now, looked and made this kind of wheel of all the presenting problems having to do with device usage. And it was a really important exercise. It was also fairly depressing. And so we said, okay, how can we turn this into something that feels very solution-oriented? And so that's kind of how the flourishing wheel was born. And so there were all of these tools out there that looked at clinical things like gaming disorder and other kind of technical clinical disorders. There wasn't yet one that looked at how we can flourish online in different categories. And so this, you can find the general version of this tool at digitalflourishing.com. Anyone can take it. It's free. Also this year, we published a adolescent version and an adult version of this wheel that are actual clinical tools. And so for people who kind of want to know how they're doing in different categories, ranging from physical health to productivity to tech-enabled health, basically you take the survey, super short, you can do it in under three minutes. And at the end, you'll see how you're doing in each of these categories and then get some actionable research-based tips at the end. And so I would say that right now, the categories that are showing up the most for people are probably physical health, productivity, and mental health. And I think that mental health is something that connects to a lot of these other domains, right? As we think about, are we engaging in intentional use or passive use? Are we consuming content consciously? And how does that content make us feel? Are we maybe comparing ourselves to things that are unrealistic, to goals that might not kind of fit our world? Or are we following accounts that make us feel like we're in awe, like we want to reach that goal, like we can reach that goal? And so I think there are a lot of different factors here, but a few general tips that I like to give people have actually to do with sleep hygiene as they relate to work. Because when we're first waking up for the day, we have an opportunity, right? We have this opportunity to ground ourselves. We have this opportunity to make sure that we're engaging in some kind of practice where we can see how we feel before we get pulled into the kind of currents of the world. And so a lot of people right now are waking up, they're checking their email, And they're almost going into this place of fight or flight because they're just looking at their emails for the most urgent thing. And there's research on something called email apnea, which is fascinating. And it shows that sometimes when we check our email, we're holding our breath. And so if we think about the effect that has, right, everyone take a deep breath, the effect that has on our nervous system and the number of times we're checking our email per day, 
right? That, that opportunity of waking up unplugged, even just for five minutes, 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be an hour, I think becomes even more important. And by the same token, as we're falling asleep, right? Anything that we're kind of consuming is going to trickle into our brains that much more. This is why we tell kids not to watch the news right before they fall asleep. And so the opportunity of the morning and the evening routine or tech light, tech free, whatever feels right for you. We like to, you know, focus on beginning now and maybe you can expand later. So try something today and see how that feels for you. And if it's easier to do this with a partner, if, if you say, hey, we're going to get that analog clock and leave our phones in the kitchen and see how that feels, it's a really interesting experiment. You talk about intentional consumption of digital stuff. Just recently, Elon Musk came out with a statement about how he wants to measure non-regrettable user minutes. And I think that that's a pretty interesting concept because that's the opposite of intentional, which it, well, it's not the opposite. It's the tail end of unintentional, which is, you know, I just wasted an hour on Twitter and I regret it. Right. Yeah. And he wants you to feel like the time you spent on Twitter, you were really happy. Mm. So I wonder is, have you any experience or information about measuring regrettable use of technology mm. for oneself? That's such a great question. I I really enjoyed that that kind of quote. And I think regret is a fascinating concept to me because when we're thinking about regret, we're thinking about also the opposite, which is how can we feel good about something? How can we kind of applaud something? Uh, how can we feel like it was an excellent use of time? And so regrettable tech use specifically is such a new concept that I don't think there are any measures quite yet for that. But what we have looked at is something called positive social comparison. And that's what we were talking about a little bit earlier, where people feel and report feeling really good about the time that that they were online, that, you know, engaging in certain actions in certain social accounts made them feel connected, made them feel like they were part of a community. And so I think a lot of this also has to do with kind of ad placement. Is someone on a platform where there are no ads, where there are some ads? How are those ads distracting to them? What are the algorithms uh, showing them on those ads? Because sometimes, you know, we'll get caught up in one thing and then we'll just see ads on this one topic when we actually aren't focused on that topic anymore. And so regrettable tech use, I think, is something that we will be able to measure a lot more in the future. But at this time, the research that's out there is really, I think, much more focused on uh, positive media perceptions and and how we can kind of drop into a place of awareness with, with that versus just consuming content passively. Okay, I have one more question. So... This one is, I think, a difficult one to answer. Those are my specialty. So one of the things that I really struggle with as a leader, I'm a CEO, I've, I've led companies most of my life. What it's taken me to get to my position, to win in the market, beat my competitors, to serve customers at the time when customers really need to be served, often involved interrupting my personal life with digital technology. For example, I remember one time I was on vacation with my family in Hawaii and we were having a terrific day driving around the island 
and we were getting this debt refinancing at my company and my CFO called me on my cell phone and the deal had taken a turn for the worse and it meant that I had to spend the next like two and a half hours dealing with this. And all my kids remember from that was me on my cell phone, you know, as they were killing time, wherever they were killing time waiting for me. And then I was in a bad mood the rest of the day. And of course, checking my email a million times after that for the rest of the trip. But at the same time, if I hadn't done that, that debt deal would have died. You know, it could have killed my company and everything would have turned out differently. And so what I have a hard time with is giving my team who are ambitious a realistic view on what it takes to to be you know, at the top of your game. You know, I don't want to model being some kind of like, oh, I'm on nine to five at five o'clock, my phone goes off and this and that. And it's like, no, when my investors call me at eight o'clock, I pick up the phone. When I see an email at 8.05 in the evening, I answer it at 8.07 and that makes the wheels of commerce turn. So what I have a challenge with personally is you know, and I don't know if there's any answer to that, but I just wonder how this intersects with when you're coaching people on this, how do you coach them to be high performers and practice digital wellness? I can't wait to hear the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I totally relate. (laughs) I can also relate. And I think as a co-founder of a company, it's just been such a ride to talk about digital wellness, to talk about tech life balance, and also have everyone contacting you online at all hours, wanting questions answered quickly, right? And so how do we walk the talk? To answer your question, Ed, I think that this communication charter exercise that we can do in the household, we can also do with teams. And the emphasis is really on what do we want the norms to be? And then when are there times when those norms are going to be thrown out the window and that's okay. And so, for example, at our company, we have certain norms of hours. And if someone's feeling really empowered to work after hours, we don't want them to unplug at 5 p.m. just to unplug at 5 p.m. But what we don't want is we don't want that person to send an email out at 11 p.m. and make everyone else feel like they have to read it. And so what we do is we definitely allow ourselves to work after hours if we're feeling that pull. But there's a great feature in Gmail and a lot of other platforms now where you can actually plan your emails to go out at a different time, which is a great feature. So you can let yourself compose that. You can let yourself write that. And maybe it doesn't go out until the beginning of the next day. And so we're not kind of creating this on-call company culture. That being said, the leaders in a company in certain roles also are going to have different norms and different rules for what need to happen to keep the company going. And so that's also kind of part of this comm charter is saying, hey, here are going to be the general norms for you guys. And you might see me behaving differently because of X, Y, and Z. And what you kind of shared with us about what happened on your trip with your children, all children and humans in in general want to know is, hey, when can we connect again? When can we play again? And so let's say we're having lunch together and something comes up that wasn't planned. I might say, hey, honey, this is actually my CEO and they have a really important questions. I'm going to have to go away for about half an hour, but after that, I can't wait to come back and we're going to play that really amazing game together. And so I think whether it's employees, kids, partners, 
the mentality, the energy of it is clear as kind. And so people just want to know what's going on. And if we can tell them, if we can be honest about, hey, here's long, here's how long it might take, or here's how long it could take. That's going to give us peace of mind. It's going to allow the other people to not feel on call for you to continue with their kind of activities, but also so you can have a rough plan afterwards. You know what? I, and, I, I totally yeah. do that. You know, now that you mm-hmm. mention it, like with Robin, my wife, who's also a social worker, by the way, oh, um, a lot of times if we're like doing something in the evening together and something inbound comes, I'll just be like, oh, this is whoever I think, you know, I'll be back in 30 minutes. And she's like, okay, it clear does work. Is kind. I can say clear is kind. That's a great phrase. I agree. That's that one's definitely going to stick with me, but so much of this conversation is going to stick with me. Gold nugget. Yeah. You know, I, I also struggle with, with the same the same challenge, but I think, I think you're right. Having a charter for, for any company, and this is great advice for anybody looking to start their own business makes a lot of sense. I wanted to shift gears slightly. I had the gift of doing the Hoffman process about four weeks ago, and it's a completely offline immersion program where you turn your cell phone into a box and get it back six and a half days later. That was transformative for me, not just the process itself, which is a separate topic, but frankly, not having my phone. And when I got it back, I was like unable to actually interact with it for a good 12 hours, probably 24 to 36 hours afterwards in the way that I do day to day. And what I took out of that, Nina, is the need for a week-long digital detox every single year. Because like Ed, you know, I work for my investors and my portfolio companies. And then of course I have a team and I value being highly responsive in the work that I do. I actually really like it. But I think the the solution was I'll take a week off from technology entirely. Have you seen that be a viable strategy? I'm looking to validate. Please say yes. (laughs) That sounds amazing. I would love to try that. I've done other programs. I haven't tried Hoffman. I, I think that people crave exactly what you just described, Eva. And last week uh, on Friday, we had our kind of annual campaign. And so Digital Wellness Day is about giving people that opportunity to pause because sometimes it's really hard to know when to bring it up and say, hey, I want to optimize my relationship with tech. I want to create a calm charter with my team. I want to go camping all day. And so I think the more that we can create times for either a digital detox or just certain kind of activities so that we can practice that pause. This is so critical for the normalization of the conversation around on-call culture, around hustle culture, and how I think we as leaders need to take time for rest and we need to take time for self-care in order to show up in the way that we want to for other people. And that self-care is such an opportunity, right? Because that self-care and the activities that we find recharging are going to be different for each person. And so I like to ask people, imagine you had an inner 
pilot light? What activities make that flame burn even brighter and what activities blow it out? And so if you're not sure if taking a break on Instagram is making you feel recharged or you still feel kind of exhausted afterwards, that's a great question to ask yourself. And it might depend again on the accounts that you're looking at that day. But I think the digital detox, the opportunity to be in the natural world to kind of reconnect with our natural circadian rhythms is something that people are craving. And so the more encounters that we can give them with this, the more people are going to feel reconnected to themselves and to others. And at the same time, I think with programs like that, it's so critical to make sure that they're also providing you with the tools to reintegrate back into our highly a digital and and connected world, right? Because we don't want you to feel overwhelmed as soon as you turn on that phone and see 52 texts and 112 emails, Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, for me, it was social media coming back. And my big takeaway was my use of social media needs to be, I'm looking at your flourishing, digital flourishing wheel here, self-expressive and creative only. And mm. that is the only way I want to use social media. And that's the only way it will serve me. Similarly, the, the break gave me so much more ability to think creatively. And despite being a VC, you may not think that's creative, but it actually is important to be creative uh, in my industry, um, particularly because I'm investing in an area that not many others are. You have to think creatively about all that money you're going to spend. Exactly. <laughs> all your investments. And exactly. That makes complete sense to me. There's actually a great book I just read. It's called bored and brilliant. And it's all about how we need that time to just be in order to have the creative juices flow. Whenever we have the kind of constant input, there isn't that quiet time to say, what do we need? What can we create to just have time for creativity? And so I love that you were able to tap into that and that coming out, you have this clarity on how you want to use these tools because these things are just tools. And I think people oftentimes I forget that, but I really think that the conversations we can have around this topic that are going to be most productive for social impact are very technologically and culturally dependent. And what I mean by that is we have to look at the way that we're using the tools and the tools and the architecture of the tools, as well as our own personal habits with them. And so it really does come back down to the intentional use and development of technology. And so I'm not sure that we can move this conversation forward without really pushing on both parts of that. Agree. I couldn't agree more. Pivoting, it'd be great to get to know you more personally. And you already gave us a book recommendation, but I will give you the chance to tell us what book is on your nightstand right now? Oh, the book that is on my nightstand right now is actually Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe, which my husband really wants me to read. It's one of his favorite books, and I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> but we've been thinking about a lot of different different books that have been important to us at different points in time. And he is in economist and he also is just a huge nerd and this is something that had a profound impact on him so that's currently what's on my nightstand i never read that book either me neither so don't feel bad <laughs> i've heard a lot about <laughs> it though okay what is your go-to beverage in the morning coffee tea or caffeine free 
Mm, green tea with a little bit of milk and honey. Wow. It's unique. Green tea with milk. I love that. At least that. you didn't say mushroom coffee. <laughs> I'm past that phase. <laughs> Are you? Okay, yes, good. well past it. I knew that we haven't. I just don't really play with it right now. <laughs> Name something that's giving you hope right now. I feel very hopeful that so many people are interested in this topic because I think I think it really shows me that we are we're moving towards a future where we won't have to talk about digital wellness. This will just be overall wellness. And so that feels really powerful and really hopeful to me. And the more people who are interested in this, the more change agents we see, I think the easier it will be to actually integrate practices that make us feel connected, that make us feel human, that make us feel recharged so that we can all continue to do this great work that we're doing. Yeah, I need a digital foot rub right now. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) Lovely. What is one trend that you are watching right now in this space? I'm watching how HR in particular is implementing more trainings that basically teach employees how to work from home because this is something that sounds so obvious to us but people aren't really trained in how to set up their home office, how to interact on Zoom. Even in our conversation right now, there are so many small things like if I say, sure, yes, and you're talking, that might actually interrupt you in a way that would be different than it would in person, right? It might throw a conversation kind of off track. And so there are so many small things that can be taught that I think have to do with the actual practice of working from home in a different place, as well as the communication. And HR is trying to figure out how we can integrate this new topic of hybrid and remote work readiness into employee onboarding. I I could use a crash course in that as well. I think we've touched a lot on like unwinding and like the best tools for digital wellness, but how do you just simply unwind? I unwind by definitely unplugging in the morning and the evening. So those routines that we talked about, I do my best to practice them personally. The other thing that's really important for me is having exercise and making sure that I have a routine because I think that we can hold so much in our kind of physicality and we don't even know it. And so because we're online so much of the time, because a lot of us at least aren't, you know, working with our hands in trades and we've kind of transitioned to different kinds of careers online. And those are very, very prevalent right now. We spend so much time in the cerebral plane that we forget to check in with how we feel. And so making sure that we exercise, making sure that we're checking in to see, hey, are we hungry? Um, And for myself, really prioritizing that physical health routine helps everything else to be much more in flow. Lastly, what is one piece of advice you would give to your younger self? I would tell my younger self to create it and people will come. And that is largely what's what's happened. Ed, we created the the Digital Wellness Collective was the first trade collective of experts and individuals doing this work before the institute was formed and we unified around an educational program for certified like educators in, in the space. And so I think for people who aren't sure where to begin, telling them to create it 
and people will come is so important. And maybe don't quit your other job because sometimes creating it takes a little bit longer than we think. When you have the clarity, when you have the purpose, when you know what social impact you want to have, that will attract the exact people that you need. What an impact you are having, Nina. It is inspiring. It makes me curious for more. And I really hope that we get to interact again. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I learned so much. I learned so much too, but we're out of time. I've got to go check my Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. And Ed, make sure that you are engaging in positive social comparison on the Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) I will. Thank you, Nina. Once again, it's clear that conscious leaders can find a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company in a truly holistic way, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me at EA Stevens on Twitter. And you can follow me at Conscious Investor on Instagram.